You are listening to Sermon Snippets with Max Taylor, where we exposit God's Word and apply its instruction to our everyday lives. As we study God's Word, we are learning truth that corrects our thinking, meets our needs, and teaches us more about Christ. Here's your host, Max Taylor. Welcome back to Sermon Snippets. We are in the heart of Daniel chapter 2, and before we pick up reading in verse 4, we have a lot to cover today, but I wanted to go back and pick up where we left off last week. We were talking about the fact that it's most likely that Nebuchadnezzar remembered his dream, and this was actually a test for his wise men. And I wanted to think about that just a little bit starting out here. The reason why we think that is based on the language. Remember, this is written in Chaldee. It's written in Aramaic. So we have to go to the Chaldee lexicon in order to interpret this phrase. And when he says that the word has gone from me, or he says it has, the thing has left me, the thing has gone from me, that doesn't mean he forgot his dream. It means that the thing was firmly established in his mind. So he'd already declared what was going to happen to them. He wasn't going to give them second chances. He wasn't going to negotiate. He wasn't going to talk to them or hear their arguments. He said, nope, the thing's already gone from me. I've already made up my mind. I've told you what's going to happen. And it doesn't mean that he had forgotten the dream. And we know that also because uh, the people didn't even offer an interpretation of the dream. They didn't attempt to make up the dream. They basically just gave up. So based on this interpretation, the king made up his mind. He, he said, I've already told you what's going to happen. And this was a deliberate test of the king's closest advisors. Remember, Nebuchadnezzar was new to the throne. He'd only been there. This was his third year reigning. So maybe he already distrusted these wise men. Maybe he had always questioned whether they really knew what they were talking about or Maybe he'd seen the way that they had assisted his father and and he didn't trust them for some reason. But either way, he was now putting their claims to the test. He was not going to back down. He was going to make up his mind and he was going to see if they could give him what he wanted. And it's not merely a test for the sake of proving a point that Nebuchadnezzar was interested in. The king needed help. And this is what I, what I want us to take away from this. He wanted real answers. And we're going to see that these wise men that he surrounded himself with in his court had nothing to offer him. He could threaten them. He promised rewards. But at the end of the day, these guys had nothing to say. They left their king, Nebuchadnezzar, hopeless. And it's just interesting that, you know, these guys could party with the king. They could have a good time getting drunk with him. They could help help him spend his money, help him rule his empire and extend his political influence, but they couldn't tell the king what he needed to know when it mattered most to him. And we're going to see that contrasted with Daniel as we go through these verses. But in essence, the king was asking these wise men, he was asking them, what can you do to help me? And the people that we interact with every single day, they might, they might not verbalize that, they might not ask you that, but that's what they're really wondering. They're, they're wondering, what can you do to help me? And as Christians, I got good news for you. We can help. So let's jump into these verses here. We're going to see that these Chaldeans, the wise men, so-called, 
they could not help. All they could do was was give excuses. And we already looked at who these guys were. We um, looked at the different types of people involved here. And obviously, remember, this is in the Chaldean language. This is the times of the Gentiles that we're in. So let's start reading here in verse 4. We read, Then spake the Chaldeans to the king in Syriac, O king, live forever. Tell thy servants the dream, and we will show the interpretation. So this is their first attempt at trying to get the king to tell them the dream. They flatter him at the beginning, and they say, Just tell us the dream, and we'll give you the interpretation. And then we read in verses 5 and 6, Nebuchadnezzar's response. He says, The king answered and said to the Chaldeans, The thing is gone from me. In other words, I've made up my mind. If you will not make known unto me the dream, with the interpretation thereof, you shall be cut in pieces, and your houses shall be made a dunghill. But if you show the dream and the interpretation thereof, you shall receive of me gifts and rewards and great honor. Therefore, show me the dream and the interpretation thereof. Now we're going to start to see the wise men begin to fluster and flounder. They counteroffer, in verse 7 here we're about to read, by basically repeating the request to hear the dream. Let's read it. Verse 7. Then answered again and said, Let the king tell us, tell his servants the dream, and we will show the interpretation of it. And the king answered and said, I know of certainty that ye would gain the time, because ye see the thing is gone from me. So his response is basically he accuses them of trying to buy time and ultimately being dishonest and conspiring to lie against him. Verse 9 says, But if you will not make known unto me the dream, there is but one decree for you. For ye have prepared lying and corrupt words to speak before me till the time be changed. Therefore tell me the dream, and I shall know that ye can show me the interpretation thereof. This is a test, but it's also a sincere man. It's it's a fair question. Nebuchadnezzar wanted real answers, and he's not going to let them just lie to him and make something up. Let's read verse 10. It says, The Chaldeans answered before the king and said, There is not a man upon the earth that can show the king's matter. Therefore, there is no king, lord, nor ruler that asked such things at any magician or astrologer or Chaldean. And it is a rare thing that the king requireth, and there is none other that can show it before the king except the gods, whose dwelling is not with flesh. So they basically, they, they slip in a little bit of flattery because they, they say, oh, they lump him in with all these great kings and rulers, and, and no ruler or king upon the earth has ever asked this thing of any man. So... After the flattery, they basically say that the king's request is not fair. But then, I want you to catch this, they admit their inability to give him what he needs. And this produces a fit of rage from Nebuchadnezzar. And the decree that we're familiar with calling for their destruction, which Daniel and his friends are going to be informed of in verse 13. So let's keep reading. We got to verse 11. So verse 12 says, For this cause the king was angry and very furious and commanded to destroy all the wise men of Babylon. So their flattery didn't work. They tried to appeal to the king's pride. And basically they said, We cannot give you anything. Think about this. These wise men, upon peril of death, don't give him anything. They can't. 
They're absolutely bankrupt. They have nothing to offer. They admit that only a supernatural divine source could provide the answers that he was seeking. They had nothing else to offer. They were so destitute of any real direction or guidance that they silently resigned themselves to the fate of execution at the king's command. So what does this show us? It says in verse 13, it says, And the decree went forth that the wise men should be slain, and they sought Daniel and his fellows to be slain. Now, Daniel was not one of these um, men who were involved in pagan idolatry or in witchcraft. He was just a counselor to the king because of his wisdom, because of the abilities God had gifted him with. He was one of the king's advisors, but he was not mixed up in this these group of people here who were the magicians and astrologers and, and all this crowd. But because he was one of the king's counselors, all the counselors were sentenced to death. And this is much more than the king being difficult or unreasonable. We have to understand he wanted real answers. He wanted real help for his problems. Help that these so-called wise men could not offer. And when it came down to it, the guys were flustered. The guys floundered a little bit. But it teaches us this. It teaches us the utter failure of human reasoning and wisdom. Their answer at the very last, at least it was it was honest, the last response they gave, they said, there's not a man upon the earth that can show the king's matter. Everyone that you and I meet, they're searching for real answers. They're looking for help. And no matter where they turn to psychology, to friends and family, to a career, to substances, to even religion, man-made religion, following after a person, they will not find anything that man has to offer can give them the answers that they're looking for. So if nothing else, this account just shows us the utter failure of human reason, of man's wisdom, the best thing we can come up with. It can't answer the real problems. So you can run to these other things you can run to the people around you but just when you need answers the most you're going to find that nothing this world has to offer will give you those answers will give you what you need nothing will be there to help you and that's what this king found out that's what nebuchadnezzar found out for everything that he had at his disposal his whole kingdom basically the world he'd conquered basically everyone who was of any importance around him He had the wisest people of his whole kingdom as his personal counselors, and he could not get what he needed, which was spiritual insight, real advice and direction and answers. He couldn't get any of that. And the Bible tells us over and over that human reasoning is going to fail. It says, there's a way which seemeth right unto a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. Proverbs 16, 25. Jeremiah 17 says, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? And then if you read on, that was verse 9, but if you read on to verse 10, it says, I, the Lord, search the heart. I try the reins, even to give every man according to his ways and according to the fruit of his doings. So that that one passage there, it tells us the heart is deceitful. Man can't even know his own heart. But you know who can? God does. God can search the heart. He tries the reins. He understands. Romans one twenty two. it says, Professing themselves to be wise, they became fools. 
So repeatedly, the Bible gives us this message that our wisdom is very limited. Human reasoning and intelligence will always come short of providing the real deep answers to the questions that we have, just as it did for this king almost 2,500 years ago. We haven't changed much. 1 Corinthians 1 verses 19 and 20, it says, For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and will bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. That's pretty harsh. And it says, where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this world? Hath not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? And he has. So for you and I, we have to realize the folly of trusting our own reasoning. Don't turn to other people. Don't turn to something in this world. We're going we're gonna to read next week Daniel's example, what, what he brings to the table. And it's not his own wisdom. It's the wisdom that only comes from God. We have to learn not to trust our own reasoning, but instead to look to Christ for our direction. Proverbs 3 verses 5 through 7 says this perfectly. It says, Trust in the Lord with all thine heart and lean not unto thine own understanding. And all thy ways acknowledge him and he shall direct thy paths. Be not wise in thine own eyes. Fear the Lord and depart from evil. God welcomes anyone to ask wisdom of him. That's what he says in James 5. If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God, who giveth to all men liberally or graciously, bountifully. God gives in excess and upbraideth not. Or in other words, God doesn't rebuke. God is not going to embarrass you or, or condemn you for asking for wisdom. And the end of James 1.5 says, and it shall be given him. What an interesting story we see unfolding here in Daniel chapter 2. And it's written in the diplomatic language of the world for a reason. God wants everyone, all the Gentiles, to understand we have to look to God for wisdom. So we'll continue going through chapter 2 next week. Hope you have a great week. Thank you for listening to Sermon Snippets. If this Bible study is a help to you, consider downloading the weekly episodes or sharing this podcast with a friend. Until next time, remember that God's Word is perfect, and it's everything you need to live for Him.